Thank you for joining me on episode 28 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, we are back with Dr. Marina Hoffman, theological professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And as we fast approach International Women's Day, we discuss three beautiful women in scripture and how we can learn from their stories as well as their leadership. Welcome back to the Unique on a Purpose podcast. And I'm really excited because we are traveling back to Florida and we are meeting back again with Dr. Marina Hoffman, wife, mom, and professor of theology at Palm Beach Atlantic University. Marina, thanks for coming back today. Thanks so much for being with you, Rachel. And I know we've connected a few times and I really love your show. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you being here because you've just been a crazy woman with all of your interviews. And I'm I'm jealous, but excited for you at the same time, because you were on the, the Dinesh D'Souza program. And I love him so much. I think he's so fantastic. The fact that you got to be on his show, I think was was so cool. But you've been busy. So thank you for being here. And today we're recording in February, but we're going to air this closer to International Women's Day, which is in March. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I don't know how you feel, Marina. Sometimes I feel, sometimes I just don't even want to talk about anything female because I get frustrated. I think for a long time, we were so far one way of women have to be in this box and they can only do certain things. They can just be a mom and just stay at home. And then as time went on, we went extreme the other way, and we said women have to have careers, and they have to neglect motherhood, and they have to do this. And then now, I'm not sure, did you did you see what happened with Adele a few days ago? Yes. Okay, anybody listening right now that didn't hear about that, Adele accepted an award in Britain, and the award was made gender neutral. It used to be for a female, and then it was made gender neutral. And so she got up on stage, accepted her award, and she said, I am so proud of being a woman. I understand why you made the award gender neutral, but I am so proud to be a woman. And man, Marina, she just got raked over the coals for that. Like, she wasn't allowed to say she was proud of being a woman. And... And now I'm going, okay, we need to talk more about biblical womanhood. We need to talk more about what the Bible says about women. And you have a devotional called Women in the Bible, and I'll make sure that I have uh, that in the show, the link in the show notes so people can get your devotional. But I want to go over a few of these amazing women that you have written about. You actually have three of my favorite women in your devotional. So let's first tell me why you wrote women in the Bible. Why did you write this devotional? You know, I teach at a university, as you know, Rachel, and I really was surprised that even though it's a Christian school, a lot of the students didn't know about the stories of women in the Bible. And I thought, you know what? I grew up also wanting to be like David and Moses and Abraham, and yet not really feeling a connection to that kind Mm. of leadership. So the impact that these women of the Bible and their leadership made on me, I thought, oh, you know, we have a whole generation rising up and they may not realize these stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, beyond the headlines, like we're doing today, really 
diving into the details and finding our identity and story in theirs and then being able to learn from the impact they had and the choices they made. Oh, that's really good. I like how you said that, though, you growing up, you you related more to David and Moses and you had this leadership ability in you, but you weren't necessarily taught about the women. There's a billboard in my city and it says on there, girls should learn history and then make it. And it it kind of irritates me because all people should learn history. Girls and boys, men and women should know history. But the thing is, is women have been making history for years. We're just not telling their stories. And I want to tell these women's stories. So let's just get right down to it and talk about, oh, one of my favorite women, Rahab. You put Rahab the prostitute in your devotional. Why did you choose Rahab? You know, her story is unexpected, right? Because she's a prostitute Mm -hmm. and her story comes in the middle of a dialogue and between God and Joshua and they're about to take the land. So our eyes are fixed on Joshua and the army and what they are going to do. And yet really it is Rahab, this foreigner who's a prostitute that changes everything. When she tells those spies about what God is about to do against her own people, sure enough, Rachel, these spies take that message back to Joshua, and Joshua gains the confidence to move forward. So really, it's Rahab's story that's the turning point in this narrative. Mm -hmm. How do you think that her as a prostitute impacts the story? It impacts maybe our perception of her. Right. Well, because she's a prostitute, she has access to information and Mm. has heard about all the things God has done. So really, she's on the forefront lines because of all the traffic through her home. She has a means of hiding the spies in her home, and of course, her host is on the wall so she can help them escape. And yet, while that is useful, really, her role as a prostitute is not central to what she's done. What is central is her faithfulness to God. Well, and you said... Uh, You said something that I want to go back to. She heard about God. She heard about his miracles. And that's what I find fascinating about Rahab is that she never saw a miracle. She had only heard of them. Yet it seems that she had more faith than the Israelites themselves who had witnessed miracles. I mean, the Israelites had traveled for 40 years in the desert. They had witnessed the miracles. And yet she seems to have more faith than they do. Yeah, it's a great point, because really we see this as a theme in the Old Testament. The greatest people of faith are not those who see and then believe, Mm. but those who believe in God and what God can do and put their faith in God and even begin to act in faith before they see any evidence of what God has done. So, of course, what a powerful inspiration for us today to hear of these stories, right, and believe Mm -hmm. what God can do, and then to move forward in faith and expectation that God will simply do what he always does to rescue, to redeem, to save. Mm-hmm. If if anybody is listening and they don't know the story of Rahab, they're, the Israelites are about ready to take over Jericho. Joshua sends the two spies. Rahab brings them in. And do you think she recognized that they were foreigners? Yeah, I think they will have had different clothes, different dialect, different way of being. And in fact, it only takes a number of hours before the king's men report to the king that there are spies in the land. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a general sense that these Israelites were quite different and stood out. Yeah. So she hides these spies and then she lets she she gives them the message. They leave 
And she says to them, hey, make sure that my family is saved when you come take over. And they said, OK, but they the your family has to be in your house. And so most of us that have read scripture for years, we know that the Israelites came. They marched around seven times. The walls fell, except for where Rahab lived. Her and her family were saved. But what I find fascinating, unless you really dig into the scriptures, you can easily glaze over it. And that is she went to live with the Israelites, but her family lived outside the camp. Like she completely left her family to live with the Israelites. I would, I mean, why do you think she did that? Well, it's a beautiful picture of someone who is on the outside ethnically, but mm. because of mm. their faith in God, is brought into the fold of God's people mm. spiritually. And again, coming back to the big picture of the Old Testament and even the New, this is what we see over and over, that we in our human flesh can draw lines of ethnicity, but in terms of God's kingdom, he invites all ethnicities. It's about our faith in God and our spiritual relationship with God that makes us on the inner circle. So again, a beautiful picture of Rahab's faith, and that makes her included in the people of God. In what what gets to me too, or what I find fascinating, is that In Jericho, she held a job as a prostitute, something that she would have been stoned for if she had practiced this as a Hebrew. But she completely gave all of that up to live among the Israelites. How do you I mean, this is speculation, obviously, but how do you think I mean, what do you think her life was like leaving what she knew as a prostitute to live now among the Israelites? I mean, prostitution was something very looked down upon. What do you think her life was like? Well, you know, Rachel, there's always people who judge, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a sense that Rachel, sorry, that Rahab was a beacon of hope Mm. and even celebrated because when we read her story, we we can come at it judgmental too and say, this is a prostitute and keep painting her in that light. But in the story, it's not about that identity as a prostitute, but about being a faithful person to God and believing in God. And we can only hope that that Rahab and people in our lives today who are faithful are constant reminders that God takes any story with any past and really can recreate us and give us a new identity if we're willing simply to put our faith in God. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a good point too: the fact that she's different now and God gives us something different when we come to him, because when you see that uh, she is in the genealogy of Jesus, she's one of the five women mentioned. She is the mother of both. Boaz, but in the genealogy, she's only listed as Rahab. Anywhere else in scripture, you see her as the harlot Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. But what do you think the significance is of here in the genealogy, she is just Rahab? That's it. Yeah, and uh, you know, when we enter into the New Testament, I would hope all the more these labels of our past are removed from us. And I think that's affirmed in the New Testament because her role is only her faithfulness, Mm -hmm. not as a prostitute. Again, the key to understanding her story. And, um, Again, I think it's so reassuring to us because whatever labels we've put on ourselves, right, or others have put on us, when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the story of Christ, those labels are meaningless and our labels are changed. Our label is now the child of God, right, saved mm-hmm. and redeemed by the Lord and made whole. Yeah. 
No, I love that. I love that. Let's move on. I want to talk about another one of my favorites, and that is Hannah. And I think Hannah is special in my heart because just like many other women out there, I'm sure, I prayed the prayers of Hannah. I had 14 years ago, I had had a miscarriage and I just wanted a son so bad. And I remember digging out first Samuel one and praying the same exact prayer as Hannah, Lord, don't forsake your servant, but bless her with a son. But I added my own little spin on it. And I said, Lord, let him have blue eyes. <laughs> and, and he does. He, he has, you know, a few months later, I got pregnant with him and he was born with blue eyes. But I also like Hannah because she is a woman of surrender. And I think we can learn a lot about her from her surrender. But tell me why you put Hannah in your Women in the Bible devotional. Well, Rachel, we have a connection that I didn't know, but our stories are similar. Mine, too. A Mm. favorite of mine because she struggles with infertility like I did. And so just like this story ministers to you, I know this is a a heartache that so many women have. And to be able to look at Hannah and to realize her trust and faith in God really is why I included her in my study. Okay. Now, back in biblical times, childbearing was so important. It is way, I mean, we kind of put childbearing down a little bit in our culture, but it was so important back in biblical times. But the Bible says that God closed her womb. And that's kind of frightening when you look at that. God, did God do this on purpose? You know, and why do you think he did that on purpose? Yeah, it really comes down to such a the huge question of why does God allow suffering? Mm-hmm. And there's so many answers, Rachel, and some of them can certainly leave us frustrated. I like to answer this really from my personal experience because I've suffered greatly. I almost died after a jaw surgery, and then I was in a car wreck that completely devastated my life and my husband's. But I can say as time passed that my suffering led to a profound knowledge of God mm-hmm. because I experienced God's healing and incredible faithfulness Mm -hmm. and it led to a powerful testimony that I've been able to share with millions of people and my own story because of my suffering has brought hope and stirred up faith in others so I would not have asked for suffering but indeed such good came out of it that eventually I became thankful and then we look at Hannah look at all the good that came out of her suffering Mm -hmm. the legacy she left Israel of Samuel who was a great spiritual leader much in the vein of Hannah a person of prayer and so we have this example of Hannah's faithfulness and trust in God. And that's, I think, one of the positive outcomes of her own pain and suffering is what we're doing right now, talking about her faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, She had prayed a prayer, I think, of complete surrender. When she went into the temple, um, she just said, Lord, uh, give me a son and I will give him back to you. I don't think that this was a prayer of negotiation. I really do think this was a prayer of submission. But do you think that that's my opinion? What do you think? Was this out of a desperate desperation or was this her heart to really serve God? You know, Rachel, maybe there is not a sense that they are mutually exclusive. And I know in my own life, I certainly strive to be surrendered to God. Mm -hmm. And I try to have that prayer, Lord, whatever your will is done. And yet at the same time, I think it's acceptable as 
people of faith to feel desperate and to cry out to God out of our desperation. And, you know, definitely I feel desperate in a sense every day for God to move in our lives and in our nation and in our loved ones. And I hope I can do this while being submitted to whatever plan God has. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you look at the world around us and I have a three and a half year old daughter and I'm certainly desperate for some changes to happen so that she grows up in a world, you know, where she's free to express her faith in God and free. Mm -hmm. And I have to think, too, and let me know your thoughts on this. She went to the temple and she surrendered herself, whether it was out of just a, a, a true heart or if it was out of desperation or both. Would she have said, God, give me a son and I will give him back to you if God hadn't closed her womb? That's beautiful, Rachel. And I think that the story suggests that she made that prayer because she was so desperate. And I think a lot of us also can relate to Hannah. Mm -hmm. Our prayers are certainly different after one or two months of trying to have a child than after two or three years. So maybe part of God's allowing us to suffer and to face challenges that seem insurmountable Mm -hmm. is this sense of desperate surrender to God that comes out of that. And truly in our actions, we just open ourselves and say, Lord, whatever your will is, please accomplish it. And Rachel, I would say that having a similar story to you, the fact that my daughter was such a gift and a miracle from God when the doctor said it was impossible is something that has impacted my identity as a mom. Mm -hmm. I really do celebrate her every day. And I'm so thankful, even in the midst of her, you know, naughty days, naughty moments, <laughs> I still remember, you know what, how I'm feeling right now, my frustration, my impatience, I can put it all aside because I'm literally so thankful simply that I have her in my life. And I don't know if I would have that attitude if I had not been so desperate. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, I know we talk about Hannah a lot as far as it goes to motherhood, but just in general, as women, how can we use Hannah's story in our lives today? Maybe not just as mothers, but just in general, how can we learn from her? Yes, I think one of the biggest takeaways for all of us is her model of a prayer life. Mm -hmm. So she surrenders to God, she has this earnest prayer, and then really the key that she trusts God. And I love that verse, in her story that says after she finished praying, she got up, she ate, she went on her way, and her face was no longer downcast. Because Rachel, in that very moment, God could not have answered her prayer, and there was still sorrow. There was still frustration in her life. And so I think this ability for people of faith to walk with our head held high in trust of God, even in the midst of sorrow, is really a profound example of what is possible when we have great faith in God and what God can do. I think what breaks my heart, and I I love that she followed through with what she told God she was going to do, but it still hurts as a mom to think that here she raised her son until he was weaned, and then she went to the temple and she dropped him off. Like, I don't think there's a greater surrender than to surrender your own child. Yeah, and I've thought about that a long time because we really don't have many script, many details in Scripture of what happens after she drops off her son. Mm-hmm. But I will say, Rachel, that in so many ways, Samuel's life reflects his mom. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the biggest ways is his prayer life, that he openly talks with God and that God calls him by name. So however long they had together, her impact on his life was monumental and really formative into the core of 
who he became as a leader of Israel. So hopefully, you know, in those visits, yearly visits back to see her son, she had a beautiful chance to connect with him again. And and God did bless her. He opened up her womb and she gave birth to many other children, which is wonderful. Let's move on. I want to talk about another favorite, and that is Esther. And if no one's ever read the story of Esther, it is when the Israelites, they have been in Babylon for quite a number of years. King Xerxes kind of banishes his wife and now is looking for a new wife. And this is where Esther kind of comes to play. And Esther, that's not even her real name. That's her Babylonian name. Her name is Hadassah. But tell me why you chose to put Esther in your devotional. Well, I think sometimes her story is so well known to a degree, but we picture Esther from the get-go as a queen and a powerful woman, and she's always so beautiful and decked out. Mm -hmm. And yet when we read her story, that is only really the final chapter. She is a simple, ordinary young woman like all of us who suffered in various ways, even becoming queen was not something she chose she was taken away so i think there's a lot of ways we can connect with her and this woman who is ordinary but given an opportunity to to do something extraordinary for god and others in this day and age one of the big terms that people especially young people today are striving for is that social justice warrior they want to fight justice and i think that's something that god has placed in all of us because god is a just god However, we're not doing it in a biblical way. And I'm not trying to expect Christian behavior out of non-Christian people. But the fact that we want justice is God-given. And I see Esther as someone who was, in a sense, a social justice warrior, but did it in such a classy, beautiful way. Like you said, she was taken. The Bible says she was taken. And I'll be honest, I didn't grow up in the church, but the first 10 years of being a Christian, I made the assumption that Esther just signed up for this sex contest, in a sense. And it wasn't until I really dug into scripture and saw that Esther was taken. I mean, what do you think that looked like? as they're having this decree of we're taking all the virgins out of their homes and they're going to go to this contest at the palace. Oh, Rachel, you're right. There's really two senses in which Esther is taken. One, her family has been taken from Israel and now she's living in exile, a completely foreign land to her, foreign people, foreign religion. And then, yes, the second sense of being taken to the palace. And when the men take her to the palace to see if she will become queen, she is separated from her family and community and everyone she knows. So there's really a sense that Esther, while being strong and courageous, is also a victim in the Mm -hmm. story. When I look at her story, it almost reminds me of stories that I read of girls that are groomed for human trafficking because they brought them in and they bathed them. They gave them all these perfumes and they treated them in a sense really well. But it reminds me of the grooming of human trafficking. I don't know. Do you kind of get that sense at all? Yeah, I think that's a powerful way of connecting her story to today. And, you know, one thing, Rachel, we don't hear these kind of details in Sunday school, right? So we make (laughs) all these assumptions. (laughs) Right. But I love that you're really looking into her situation and saying, what would that be like for her? And is there something today? And I think that that is a powerful connection. And, again, comes back to 
how incredible Esther was to rise above all of these circumstances to do something for others. Mm -hmm. Again, a huge, a huge example for us today. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall victim to saying, oh, I've been abused in this way, in that way. And while that is true, maybe those very challenges we faced have prepared us to make a difference in the lives of others. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did in the the midst of adversity. God used her in a mighty way. Again, if nobody has read the story, all the Jews were about ready to get wiped out. And it was kind of uh, deceptive when Haman did that. The king didn't really, I don't think, realized what in a sense was going on. But Esther chose to fight in such a classy way. And I wanted to bring this up because, again, because we as Christians, we need to know how to fight injustice in a biblical way. And I think there are a lot of people that are doing it. Those that are trying to fight against pornography, against human trafficking. They're trying to feed kids over in Africa. You know, there's a lot of people doing it in a biblical way. But I also think that there are some Christians out there that are getting that are responding they're reacting versus responding so they're reacting and saying oh my gosh this is injustice i'm gonna get on my twitter feed and i'm gonna be that keyboard warrior and i'm just gonna yell and do this instead of responding which is okay let's look back at the situation let's look at it from all sides and see how what actions can we take and And sometimes we look at injustice and we just take everything at face value, not understanding what is true and what is false. But when the decree came out, I remember reading that it had the king's signet ring on the decree. So, you know, it was true. This wasn't something that was hearsay. It wasn't made up like this was true. This was going to happen. And Esther comes in and she fights differently. How do you think she fights differently than maybe a stereotypical social justice warrior today? Well, you know, as you said, Rachel, it's so easy to get on social media and post a bunch of pictures and sayings and phrases, but it's a total different level of fighting an issue and creating justice in the world by actually impacting the life of even one person and bringing justice for them in a very real and tangible way. And maybe to our sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. to do something that takes time and energy and even costs us something. So when we look at Esther, we see that she doesn't just send out a message of encouragement to everyone. She actually cleverly goes to the very source and she's brilliant in her way of navigating this challenge yes. to her husband, the king, very subtly, very peacefully showing him the depth of danger mm-hmm. that Haman is creating for all her people. And yet at the same time, it's peaceful it's also a huge risk she is willing to sacrifice and to put her life at risk for the sake of others again if we compare that to the post on social media a very different commitment to social justice Mm -hmm. well and i love too that yes like you said she took the risk because she could have been banished or killed if she just walked in to visit the king without an invitation, but yet she she goes in and she doesn't ask for her demand right away. She says, hey, I'm going to I would like to throw a banquet. And and I, <laughs> I kind of love that because to me, it's like biblical proof that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. You know, she shows she <laughs> yes. does. She gives him two banquets and then he says, OK, I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. And 
again, if nobody has read the story, it ends in a beautiful way of her people were saved. They didn't end up getting killed, but it was because of her risk. And she had been so far removed from the Jewish people at that point when she asked. And I think she had a good sense of what royal life was like and the the everything that she had to do to do it the right way because she had been living with the king for so long. How do you think God, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but how do you think God uses tragedy that has happened in our lives? Just like Esther, you know, she's taken from her home to be in this wife contest, but yet she uses it to bring about good. Give me some examples on how we can do that today. In my own life, again, after all the tragedy I was in, God brought about good, but it was a slow path. And I think there's a lesson in our ability to wait. I think we see that in the story of Esther, that she was patient, that she was thoughtful, that she trusted God in the long term. And we can even go back to Hannah and oh, see that in her story. And so I think for us today, being willing to say, Lord, the world is still in your control, even though things are not going my way or the way I want them to be, and even though I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see God in the midst of that, to trust that God is still in control, and to be willing to say, I don't see where your hand is in this situation right now, but I'm going to have faith in who you are and who you've been my whole life to see me through this and to change who I am in the process, to build my character, to build my trust, to build my perseverance. And then when I've moved beyond this painful moment, you will use the person you're creating me to be to then very practically impact the lives of others around around me. And I think Rachel, especially those around us who have gone through the same kind of suffering, you know, you go through a divorce, you're able to minister to people in that area Mm -hmm. for you and I having being frustrated with infertility. We certainly have a heart for other women and men going through this struggle. Mm -hmm. And so God uses these things if we're willing to be formed by them Mm -hmm. and to not let the challenges of life harden us. Right. No, that's really good. And I think too, however God's going to do it, we're not going to know how he's going to do it. And I think God's going to surprise us every time. We have this idea of how God will use us and how things are going to turn out if we trust in him, but he's going to do it in a different way that we never would have thought of. That's so true, Rachel. And you remind me of a promise that has rung true in my life, that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And yet, Rachel, it takes sometimes a life of faithfulness to really see how God does it. It doesn't always happen immediately. But I know in my life, in the darkest moments, I could not have imagined that God would restore me and heal me. So I think it's an encouragement, again, to trust in God's promises. And when we can't see the way forward, to know that God has a plan of restoring us and using us for his kingdom in ways we can't possibly see in that moment of desperation. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find Marina on Instagram. You can follow her there. And I'll also post a link in the show notes of getting a hold of her devotion, Women in the Bible. You can do this as a devotional on your own or in a small group. Uh, and if you didn't catch the accent, she does live in Florida, but she is definitely <laughs> from Canada. You can pick that up right away. Marina, as we approach International Women's Day, sometimes I'm I have that struggle of should we have a day like let's celebrate women every day. Let's celebrate men every day. But then when I hear things about Adele saying, hey, I'm proud to be a woman and people are just slaughtering her over being proud of being a woman. Tell me what you think as far as God's biblical idea of women. Should we be proud of being created in the image of God as women? 
Yeah, I think it's important to, of course, celebrate everyone every day. But, you know, there's a sense in which I think Women's Day is so helpful to women themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I know after a long day, uh, I look back and the only parts of my day I remember, Rachel, are things that I messed up or moments <laughs> that I used to harsh turn a harsh tone with Willow. I don't think of the hours I spend playing with her and developing her mind and listening to her and helping her with all her little three-and-a-half-year-old world problems. So I think sometimes we need a day to remind ourselves, you know what God celebrates us. God delights in us. Mm -hmm. And yes, we make all kinds of mistakes, but to focus on who God has made us to be and just to celebrate all the accomplishments we do and think a little bit less of all the ways we fail. Yeah. Well, Marina, I think... Thank you so much for writing this devotional and just bringing to the forefront different women that one, we should be celebrating and two, who we can look to as examples for our own life. Because yes, that that sign in my in my town says girls should learn history and they should make it. Well, girls have been making history for thousands of years and we have biblical proof of that. So thank you for bringing that to light, for writing that book. And uh, again, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for joining Dr. Hoffman and I on that intellectually stimulating conversation. Dr. Hoffman's book is in the show notes, so grab a copy to use as your next devotional. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved, and because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next week.